Stand with me as we hear that word together in the gospel reading for today, Matthew 27, starting in the 45th verse. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling out for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick and offered it for him to drink. But the rest said, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked. The rocks were split. The tombs were also opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city, and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and things that had happened, they were terrified and said, Truly this man was the Son of God. Many women who had followed Jesus from Galilee and looked after him were there, watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. The Gospel of the Lord. Amen. You please, you may be seated. As we come back to the Gospel and to the Psalms and in the way that Jesus has linked them together for us today, I want to begin by talking about authenticity. It's not just a buzzword. Of course, it is that as well. But it's something that don't you long for? Don't you look for? Whether it be in the information that you read online or in the relationships that you have. From your work relationships to your school relationships to your closest most intimate relationships. We look for authenticity. And what I think we'll discover as we encounter this text today, as we encounter Jesus taking us back into the Psalms again, we'll uncover and realize an authentic God, authentic relationship, something real that we can get our hands around. To help us consider that, I want to tell you about a Shakespearean actor, famous for reciting the classics. And when he would perform, he would perform these solo acts and would always conclude his recitations with his final piece, Psalm 23. That's the psalm that follows the one that we just read today. Some of you know it well, the psalm of the Good Shepherd, the one who leads us through the valley of shadow of death into still waters, into his very presence. He walks with us through it all. 
And so this famous actor, this accomplished actor, once again began to present and came to the conclusion of his act. And there a young man interrupted him, raised his hand when it was time to recite the 23rd Psalm. And he said, hey, hey, can I do it? Can I read it tonight? Now, this accomplished actor was used to getting thunderous applause for his rendition. And so he thought, sure, we'll let this amateur go. Even though he was a little bit irritated, he thought, we'll let him give it a try. And then I'll show him how it's really done. And so this young man gets up and reads the psalm. And at the conclusion, there were no thunderous applause. But it was unmistakable. The house had been moved. When he read those final words of Psalm 23, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, the only thing you could hear in that house was weeping. They had been moved, transformed even, touched in their heart. And the actor, he was stunned. He said, how, how can this be? I have, I have performed this thousands of times, gotten thunderous applause, but never have I moved an audience like you have. And this young man said humbly, well, sir, you know the psalm. You, you know it well. But I, I, he says, I know the shepherd. I know the good shepherd. And friends, that's my invitation for you as we continue this exploration of what Jesus has read into and sung and prayed in the Psalms. That you would encounter this good shepherd the reason I've been inviting you to read the Psalms with Jesus is to encounter this Jesus, this good shepherd. I have a hypothesis that I believe is as rock solid as any theorem that when you read the Psalms or the whole word of God for that matter, our lives won't just be entertained. The core of who we are will be transformed like that audience because he carries us into the presence of God. Before we get into today's reading, let's recap last week just a bit, and you can listen to the whole message online if you so choose. But I came across a quote this week of a famous writer that I thought encapsulated much of what we talked about last week together as Jesus taught us in Matthew 7 and rebuked us in quoting Psalm 6. You see, the writer, the late writer David Foster Wallace, who shortly after he died, L.A. Times wrote in 2008 that he was maybe one of the most important writers in the last 20 years back then. And just shortly before his death, he said this to a group of would-be graduates at the Kenyon College commencement. He said, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, Wallace writes, 
There is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Now, I don't know what, if any, faith David Foster Wallace professed, but he knew that a theological worldview was the only place to find the depth of meaning. He would go on to say, much like Jesus did in the gospel, that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. Anything else you try to fill up your life with that isn't Christ, Jesus taught us last week in that rebuke, will eat you alive, whether it's your sin or whether it's even those good things. If you try to fill up your life with work or power or money or even family as the source of your hope, it'll eat you alive. But there is a source that will fill us up and then, for his sake, fill those other things up too. And our hope is found in a historical, authentic, real God with a real hope. And that leads us from last week to this. As Jesus reads the Psalms, he now prays the Psalms. Jesus knew the Scriptures like none other because he embodied them. In the Gospel of John, it says that he became the Word made flesh. He tabernacled. That's the word in Greek. The, the temple becomes flesh in Jesus. God is with us in Jesus. And, jo- and Jesus, who embodies the Word, does a few things. And we're going to look at all three of them today. He, he brings his real heart to the Father in prayer. And then Jesus brings his prayers to the Scriptures And then finally, we'll realize that Jesus, as we're hoping to discover, will bring us into the presence of God. And Psalm 22, as you heard, brings out bookends of heart cries that we'll examine both in Psalm 22 and in the Gospel. And so if you're looking for that kind of authentic, real relationship, and you want to have it, you want to dig deeper into it, or maybe you already have it and you really want to go deeper, or you're still looking for it, I want you to come to know this kind of good shepherd, this kind of God. I hope you'll track with me today as we go there. Let's begin with what Jesus does first. Jesus brings his real heart to the Father. You ever been in a relationship that things were left unsaid. You know, there were unspoken rules. You weren't allowed to talk about certain things. Those relationships had a cap on how deep they could really go. Those relationships said we can only go here and no farther. It's not really a relationship of significance anymore at that point when it gets blocked, is it? And you hunger for more, but you realize That blockage of communication blocks off real relationship. Well, Jesus would have none of that in his relationship in the Godhead. That is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. When we read in the wider context of the Old Testament, and according to scholar Douglas Hare, in thinking about these texts that we're looking about today, 
He argued that it was not inappropriate to argue with God. It was not unfaith, but faith that allowed, for example, Jacob to wrestle with God. It was not unfaith, but faith, for example, to allow Job in the Old Testament to try and argue with God to understand his justice and his prayer life. And it was not unfaith, but perfect faith, perfect faith, that allowed Jesus to share his real heart with the Father. And he was, in that moment, separated from God for the first time. Separated from the Father. And so he brought his real questions to God. And as Ed Clowney put it, Jesus cried out, not in unfaith, but in trust. Now, some of you might be thinking, where do I go with my questions? Do I have to have faith first to bring them to the Lord? Well, I'm inviting you to to observe a real relationship, an authentic relationship that's so utterly authentic in the person of Jesus and in the Godhead that we read in the Psalms and that we hear testified in in the gospel today. So authentic that it can't be anything other than real so you can be free to ask those real questions and share those real heart cries before the Father. If Jesus can bring his heart to the Father, then he makes it possible, possible for you to bring your heart to the Father as well. Let me paint another picture for just how authentic and real this relationship is. I discovered in my study of these texts that you can't really study the passion narrative, whether it's in Matthew there we read today, or Mark, or John, where Jesus quotes Psalm 22. You can't study them without studying the psalm, and you can't study the psalm without studying the passion narrative. In fact, I tried. I I went to some Jewish scholars And they still brought up the fact that Jesus quotes this. It's amazing how Jesus fills this up. And what's interesting for scholars is that there's a real conundrum because David, we know, wrote this psalm, but never had those experiences in his life. And so Luther pointed out, and others have as well, that this must be a prophecy. And Jesus fills it up as he prays it on the cross. And his central, most central part of his ministry, of his work on earth, he prays it on the cross. And by the way, of the different biblical prophecies that are fulfilled in the Scriptures, and you'll see several of them if you go home and read Psalm 22 today. Author and award-winning reporter Lee Strobel notes that Jesus fills them up. And so he he asked mathematician and science professor David Stoner, what were the odds that Jesus would fill these prophecies that are in the Old Testament? And they measured just 48 of them. David Stoner had his students run the numbers conservatively. And they discovered that for one human in all of history to fulfill all of those prophecies, like Jesus did, 
There's just one chance, just one chance in a trillion, 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 not done, trillion, trillion, trillion. What are the odds? Well, those are the odds. Jesus completes this psalm. He is authentically who He says He is, the Son of God. And so we can trust in Him and we can trust in these prayers. And so as Jesus prays the Psalms, He brings His prayers to the Scriptures and He quotes Psalm 22. Now, Richard Reardon, or excuse me, Patrick Reardon, tells us that there's a popular idea that Jesus actually prayed on the cross from Psalm 22 all the way, because in Luke he quotes Psalm 30, all the way to Psalm 30 on the cross. Now we don't know for sure if he did that, but what we do know is that whenever Jesus was faced with trials or temptations, or even when he carried his own cross, and now even on the cross, he would go to the Scriptures for his strength, for his confession, and for his prayers. And he prays his heart cry of loss on the cross today in Psalm 22 and in each passion narrative. And Jesus brought his prayers then to the Word, and we can do that too. We can pray. And when you feel like your prayers are empty or self-centered or not going, or maybe you even feel defeated like D.A. Carson suggested we might when we do it on our own, then go to the Scriptures and pray through those Scriptures like Jesus modeled for us. In fact, in his book, Praying the Bible, Donald Whitley writes, the reason why Jesus gave us the Psalms. It's the reason why the the Lord gave us the Psalms. In other words, God gave the Psalms to us so that we could give the Psalms back to God. Now why would God do that? Well, it's no different than the joy a parent feels when they give their child money to go buy them a present for Christmas. There's sweet joy in that. And God offers that up for us. And Jesus knew that. And so in his darkest hour, he went to the scriptures. You and I can do that too. And he prays. Now let's unpack just this prayer of the forsaken for a moment. C.S. Lewis points out in reading Psalm 22 that in his final torture, it's not the pierced hands or feet that's so striking for him, although that must He writes, always be part of our anticipation of how brutal that was. But that what really matters most, he writes, is the union of the total privation. In that old English language, what is he saying? He's saying that Jesus was abandoned from God the Father in that moment. And he didn't cry out when his hands were pierced or his feet were pierced. But when he was separated from God, that's when his cry went Loud. In fact, the word there in Greek really should say scream. And he screamed out this prayer to the Father. 
He is truly separated from God the Father in this moment. Why? So you never have to be. Now you know, some of you who are counting the numbers, well, you know, it was just three days, right? You know? Three days later, he rose again. Time stops when you're abandoned. Time stops when you've experienced loss. You know this. Those who have lost a child or a spouse or in our human condition experienced the brokenness of a relationship, maybe even a divorce, you know how painful that is. What a huge loss that is. There is no time. And Jesus, He took it on like none of us ever have because none of us, even in the creation of God, really know what it's like to be totally separated from the Father because we're in His beautiful creation. But Jesus experienced that. And not because He deserved it like we do. Like us imperfect sinners, Jesus did it all right, the only one who could. And yet He was separated from God. That's why Luther will tell us that beyond all other texts, this forsaken prayer tells us the suffering that Christ had for us. And why? So that you and I don't have to be separated from God. Jesus prays this prayer to the Father in brokenness so that He can bring us into the presence of God. I noticed something for the first time in studying these texts this last couple of weeks. I hope it will resonate with you as much as it did with me. There were two cries in the beginning and end of this psalm. And if I would have noticed it a few weeks ago when I selected this text, I would have had you read the whole psalm, but you're going to have to do that at home tonight. At the beginning of the psalm, you hear this same prayer that Jesus quotes Why have you forsaken me? But then at the end of the psalm, just like at the end of the passion narrative, we hear Jesus say the actual words in the Gospel of John, it is finished, or tetelestai in Greek, which means it's been paid in full. It's been done for you. Guess how Psalm 22 ends? With another cry. And in Hebrew, it's Asa, which means, and you can read it in English, He has done it. It means He's accomplished it. It's the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek word totelestai. And what's interesting here in Matthew is when He tells us that Jesus cries out for a second time, unlike John, He doesn't tell us what that word is. He just gives us a picture of what it is that has been done, what has been accomplished, what has been paid for. And the picture he gives us is that 60-foot veil that separated us from the very inner presence, the inner part of the temple, the presence of God. That 60-foot veil that some scholars say were probably mostly soundproof. It was so thick. It tears in two from top to bottom. What does Jesus do in that second cry? And as he gives up his spirit, he ushers us into the presence of God. 
the last thing that Jesus wants to say is that He has done it. He has accomplished it. Totelestai, it is finished. It has been paid in full for you. Unlike all the other philosophies that you can read and discover in this world. For example, the last thing that Buddha said in his scriptures was, strive without ceasing. But Jesus says, don't you dare keep striving on your own. Don't fill it up on your own. I have done it. I have accomplished it. It is finished. And friends, if Jesus has accomplished this for you in this authentic relationship, then you can indeed bring your heart to the Father like Jesus did. And you can, yes, pray the Psalms with Jesus and deal with all the arrows like never before. And yes, You can do all this because He carries you. He brings you into the very presence of God. Why? Because He has accomplished it. And you won't just know the Psalms. You won't just know the Scriptures. You'll know the Shepherd. Or to quote this song, Psalm, it's because He has done it. Amen.